the 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 middle 45 and the 10 can win right like you can put together a winning coalition and in a big field even it's it, you know if liz is running against seven people let's say and she's only got to get to 25 well you got your 10 to start with and you got to only win over 15 of that middle category so so there are strategic ways to win welcome to what's next your next favorite political podcast where your hosts emily matthews and daniel hare bring you great guests each week to have conversations about how to restore the conservative movement. And now, in the words of President Bartlett, what's next? All right, Tim Miller joins us right now. He's the Bulwarks writer at large, previously the political director for Republican voters against Trump, communications director for Jeb Bush in 2016, and spokesman for the Republican National Committee. Tim, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, y'all. Happy to do it. Congrats on the new show. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, And thank you for your time. We're excited to have you. So um, many of us, uh, I know Emily and and I for sure, but I think many of us in this uh, group uh, uh, have thought that after the events of January 6th and then the Georgia Senate elections that were uh, soon after that, that the GOP would determine that the best path forward is probably away from (laughs) President Trump and Trumpism and, and whatever that looks like. Um, it obviously hasn't played out that way. And I'm curious why you think it hasn't played out that way. Why was that the direction that, uh, or wh- that we didn't go and instead have gone <laughs> to where we are now? Uh, well, you guys were wrong about that. And I was right. Uh, I knew that they weren't going to pivot away. So I'm glad you had me on here. This is yeah, one area yeah. of expertise I can offer yes. to the group. That's why we need you. Um, uh, yeah, look, um, uh, this Donald Trump, um, uh, is is both of the chicken and the egg in the problem <laughs> of what's happening with the with the Republican Party, right? Uh, in some ways. Um uh, he was the result of underlying things that were happening. In other ways, he's kind of exacerbated the problem, right? Like he's very unique in his, um, you know, malignant narcissism and sucking up to Putin. Not all of this, you know, not all of the terrible things with Donald Trump are driven um, by other underlying problems. But but the the reality is is that he um, came to power uh, in a bottom up way, right? Mm. Like there there used mm-hmm. to be this sort of sense. Uh, I think it was Chris Hayes's book that was called "The Party Decides," right? Um, uh, there used to be the sense that that in general, particularly on the Republican side, that kind of elites would drive you know the the voters um, and push voters one way or another. Um, and, and that was true basically up, up until the 2016 election. And so when I was working for Jeb in 2016, you know, it became very apparent that the power had shifted. The tail had become, mm-hmm. had, is, was wagging the dog. Um, uh, there were a variety of reasons for that. Uh, social media mistakes the Bush administration made, um, you know, global changes and, and kind of the rise of rise of populism, uh, and a pushback against globalism. Um, mm-hmm. but, but. As a result of all those changes, the voters now have taken over the party. The inmates are running the asylum. And so on (laughs) on the night of January 6th, when emotions were running high, you saw Lindsey Graham, you saw Mitch McConnell, people like this saying, okay, you know, we've had enough. It's time to move forward. Um, But it became clear to them in in the coming days, in the following days, that like voters didn't want to move forward, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, And so while I think that um 
had they acted differently, they, they maybe could have driven the conversation and driven the party to a more acceptable place. Um, you know, the reality is that they've sort of given in to the, the whims of this mob and, 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 the, and what the Republican voters want, uh, what the base of the party wants um, is support for Donald Trump, is fealty to Donald Trump. Uh, and so that um, is, is, is the driving force of what's happening right now. And that's why you saw somebody like Lindsey Graham take a, such a dramatic 180 Mm-hmm. From you know saying we need to move forward to saying that the party can't can't do anything without dear leader Orange God King Trump. <laughs> no, I think that's a really good point <clears throat> that you're saying as far as uh, Trump goes. That it really was a bottom up movement, um, and that leads into our next question really well because I think that um, you know the way we're going to be able to bring change is through the grass a grassroots movement. Um, I don't think it's going to be as we learned through a top down process. Um, you know, we had Michael Wood on the show a couple weeks ago, um, you know, and I think that it's just going to take a lot of different battles um, in this war. How do you think, how do we begin to make headway in the grassroots movement for, you know, reforming the GOP? Yeah, it's tough. Um, uh, you know, I think that a big, uh, I, I just want to just give everybody a trigger warning here. Uh, that Noted. <laughs> uh, I am going to be probably among your most negative guests on just the prospect <laughs> of reforming the GOP. Uh, I want to explain why that is first before yeah. I answer your question. I think it's a worthy fight. I think it's a worthy effort. Yeah. Uh, but I want to explain why I'm 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 pessimistic. Um, there has been this sort of change in the makeup of the parties. I know we'll talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but. The, this change is not is not going anywhere. It's not reverting, right? Like, um, you know, there's certain people that want to stay and fight with the party. God bless them. <laughs> but a lot of non-political junkies, regular folks, uh, have seen enough, right? And so the people that are staying and fighting for the party have even fewer allies in this fight than they did back in 2016 mm-hmm. right like when you saw mm-hmm. jeb and marco and Kasich and all of us mm-hmm. sort of not be able to right. add up to even a plurality of support a, a lot at least a certain percentage of jeb and marco and Kasich voters aren't republicans anymore right some of them right. some of them are um yeah. so you have a smaller group to build from now that doesn't mean that you should stop uh, I think what it what it means is you have to be thoughtful about where are places where this fight can be won. How can we focus on that? How can we galvanize people um, in in ways that we can broaden our coalition? Right. Um, I think that was unfortunately Michael Wood ran in like this a hundred person primary. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> are there places? Can can we identify? And and I think that it, you know if we spent time thinking about it and looking, can we identify places where there are kind of moderate suburban districts that have pretty Trumpy members, right? That have over overshot, right? Mm-hmm. Where where can you galvanize people in that sort of community? Can you go into blue states, right? And and, and follow the Baker Hogan Scott model, right? Mm-hmm. Um can can is there potentially, I don't know that this is going to work, but I don't think anybody's tried it. Is there a place to go into red states uh, and say and, and, and come up with a coalition with Democrats, right, um, where you can put together people and say, it's like, look at Liz Cheney, for example. It, is, is she going to have a better shot in a Republican primary in Wyoming? 
um, while trying to bring over independents and Democrats into the primary? Or will she have a better shot as an independent in a general election and and maybe hopefully teaming up with the Democrats, kind of convincing them it's not worth it to put somebody up? I, I don't know the answer to that. I haven't, I haven't seen the Wyoming polling, but, but that could be a place. So, um, you know, I think that there has to be this sort of broader movement that you guys are talking about, adding people, you know, doing stuff that, you know, Arvat and now RAP and Lincoln Project and others did. Um, but then how do you channel that into political power um, is, you know, trying to find find areas where there's an appetite for this because it's just it's not there's not a national appetite for it right now within the party that's just that's just the reality and so living in reality you can kind of i think make smarter decisions about where to focus grassroots energies yeah and and i wanted to actually tie that back to a follow-up i was going to ask you from the first question which is when you talk about the voters now running the party and the kind of the inmates running the asylum I, yeah. I think one of the things about that that I wanted to ask you about is you're trying to figure out kind of how do we break down the percentages of who's who in this grouping. So if you take like 48% of the population uh, or whatever the number was, 47, 48 voted for Trump. And, uh, you know, we're saying that kind of this hardcore base grassroots is 100% for him and, and kind of running the party now. Um, what slice of that 40 plus percent is that group versus how many el- others are just sort of the run of the mill Republican voters who really don't care that much that aren't super invested in Trump per se, but they look over at the left and they say, well, I know I'm not that. So I've got to just kind of swallow it here and do that. So, yeah. and, and, and what, how do you kind of break that out? Um, I think it's different state to state yeah. uh, and place to place. But if I just if I just ballparked it, what I what I and I think if if you look at um, there's some interesting polling being done by Echelon uh, Insights, Patrick Rafini and Christian Soltis. I might well just have them on to talk about this more in depth. But 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 they ask people, do you see yourself more of a Trump supporter or a Republican? And that number kind of waxes and wanes mm-hmm. um, depending on how Trump's doing at the moment between forty and. 60 percent i don't know the numbers in front of me but but you know but basically it's it's about what how i would break down the numbers is you had about 45 percent of the party that is really just in a trump cult um yeah that's just reality then you've got another 45 percent that like trump enough you know they're they're your typical person that's like "Ah, i don't like the tweets or whatever you know that you hear that we all hear um but 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 think that the democrats are the real problem that the socialism the left whatever and then i think you've got about depending on the state five to ten percent of people that are just sort of conservative you know or maybe center-right actively dislike trump Mm -hmm. um but but see the party as a better bet so you know um i I think it's different place to place but just as sort of a rule of thumb i I look at about 45 45 10 yeah um and so the 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 middle 45 and the 10 can win right like you can that's what i'm trying to figure out a winning coalition and in a big field even it's you know if liz is running against seven people let's say and she's only got to get to 25 well you got your 10 to start with and you got to only win over 15 of that middle category so so there are strategic ways to win um, within the party, um, it's just that, um, you know, that, that first 45, like they're, they're serious, right. <laughs> about it being a Trump cult, right. Yeah. So if you run yeah. a ball, so, so they kind of carry more power, right. Than that middle 45, because if you run a foul of Trump, they say peace, 
Yes. Right. And that's what you saw in Georgia. You not yes. the whole forty, but you saw people not vote. You know, you see your poll numbers tank. You know, I I remember uh sitting with Ted Cruz's pollster two days after he did the vote his conscience vote your conscience speech. And I, it was like I, he'd never seen anything like it in his life. Ted Cruz went from like 70% popular to 20 <laughs> with Republicans and like overnight 50% drop. Yeah. Um wow. and so um so so that is the problem, is that like those folks will punish you. And so that is the when I say that the tail's wagging dog, that's why they, that despite group. only being about 40-45% of the party, are, uh, have so much con- so much power, yeah, political yeah. power. Yeah, I spoke with um, Michael Moscato. I don't know if you guys um, know of him. He's going to be running in Arizona um, okay. in kind of a, tr- a Trumpy district. And he was actually you know, saying, it was kind of like what you're saying, he was right on the line between should I run as a Republican or should I run as a Democrat? Because he's right down the line. And you know, what is the most likely, um, you know, his, his, what would be the wisest choice? Um, you know, but of course you sort of coined the term red dog, uh, Democrats, um, or is it red dog Republicans? Is the red dog, piece? Yeah. Red dog Democrats, I think. Or, <laughs> yeah. dogs or just red yeah. dogs, period. Right. Right. But I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, our listeners would be familiar with the blue dog Democrats, um, you know, but why don't you kind of tell us a little bit how you see this uh, group impacting future. Yeah. So, so basically the argument that I was trying to make is, and I like, I always keep, so I'm from Denver, right? Um, and I'm from suburban Denver and, and my hometown district has, has gone from being Republican plus by about 10 points to being Democrat plus by about 17 points mm-hmm. in 10 years. Yeah. Right. So there's been like yeah. a quarter of the people in my district have changed sides. Now some people have moved in. There's been some movement that's happening in places like Atlanta too. A lot of Dallas, Houston, mm-hmm. like that's big, so, yeah. So, so, you know, these, this switch has happened. Right. And, and, and whereas a lot of us who are like very online and very involved in politics, like think about this, in a in a way of like, well, I'm still a Republican. I've got my elephant brooch, and you know, I love George Bush, and I read the National Review, like, but but I don't like Trump, right? A, a lot of the actual regular people, like, they, this is not their life, right? Like, they sure. have other yeah. lives. They've got kids. They've got soccer practice, and so for them, it's like, well, I used to vote for Republicans. Or I used to be an independent, and now like Donald Trump's crazy. The party's crazy. I vote for Democrats. I'm basically a Democrat now, right? Like, there's in their mind, they don't just think about this with the same labels as as us political obsessives do. Mm-hmm. And so that is the group that I tried to categorize as this sort of red dog Democrat. And I think that it's important for political professionals when considering strategies to just recognize that these voters that they kind of think about as Republicans traditionally, these sort of suburban, college-educated, fiscally conservative voters, like don't think of themselves as Republicans anymore, right? Mm-hmm. They think yeah. of themselves basically as, as as Democrats. Now, it doesn't mean they won't ever vote for a Republican. It doesn't mean that in their local elections, they, I'm sure in Baltimore, they like Larry Hogan and, and things like this. So, so – if if you accept that prospect that this change has happened, then when you think about the makeup of the parties, the the Democrats actually have a more welcoming opportunity, in my opinion, for a moderate center voter to come in and win a primary by putting together the red dogs have moved into the party, older black voters who supported, you know, Joe Biden and and maybe some even some older white and traditional Democrats who are like a little bit concerned about what's happening with the woke and the DFA, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I think that there are going to be areas where the Democrats would be wise to think, 
hey, I want to recruit an ever-Trumper, actually, to run in this district, right? And, uh, uh, you know, if you down in Texas, like you're talking about, to run against Dan Crenshaw or Chip Roy mm-hmm. in those suburban districts, like, they might be better off to run an ever-Trumper who is, you know, you know, back to the old line, Democrat, safe, legal, and rare position on abortion, and, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't, does, isn't down the line, um, because there's a lot of voters now that are in the Democratic coalition that are looking for that. That's why Pete did so well in the primary. He attracted these voters. That's, they ended up with Biden. Biden. Um, and so, whereas the Republicans now, like a lot of those moderate voters have left, mm-hmm. right? And so their new coalition is a different, is the opposite type of moderate, right? It's the culturally conservative, mm-hmm. fiscally don't care, right? Like, you know, give me my handouts, but like, I don't like, you know, trans uh, uh, girls playing sports and, you know, I'm mad at uh, Dr. Seuss and whatever, right? Like they're mo- they're moderate, but maybe not in the same way that us college educated white suburban types like think about a moderate. <laughs> they're moderate in the opposite yeah. issues, right? Whereas they're almost yeah. like, like those that voter like disagrees with me on everything right like mm-hmm. I, i'm actually further from them than i am from at least aoc and i agree on social issues right or at least you know um ted cruz and i agree on on a lot of fiscal issues mm-hmm. right but like right. that voter yeah. that voter is the opposite of me right but they're so so now they're being drawn into the republican coalition so uh you know i i think that if you look at things like that um then from a strategic standpoint, if you're thinking about running or if you're looking at a district, uh, the the Democrat primary, again, depending on where it is, is different different places of the country, might actually be more more welcoming and make more sense for a, you know, sort of moderate and 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 the sense I'm talking about um, uh, in a person that maybe used to vote for Republicans to run. Yeah. And I also just think as a strategic matter, Democrats are going to have to try to appeal to them a little bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, that's going to change uh, the Democrats, um, you know, kind of positioning in certain areas. Sure. Yeah. And I think obviously we'll we'll know a lot more about what these districts look like after redistricting for the next decade and, and what some of these are cut up in a way that <laughs> what we think of today might be a purplish district. For sure. May not be uh, <laughs> for 2022, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So. I mean, and that's like, if you look at Elise, which is in the news right now, I mean, her district is just getting more and more MAGA, right? And as, mm. they, as they do redistricting, it'll even be more MAGA because um, they're just going right. to dump more of that sort of rural upstate New York um, into one district. Yeah. One of the things that I hear a lot from kind of the people that are in my, I'm in Texas, so we're very red Republican circle, conservative circle. Uh, but, uh, you know, is that kind of a critique of sort of the never Trump types and whatever that looks like today, um, you know, has always has been that it always looks like we're going after our own, like that we're always attacking other conservatives, other Republicans, you know, those that aren't going along with the never Trump type stuff, as opposed to, and and never seem to be critiquing or, or calling attention to, and potentially legitimate issues that are happening uh, in the Democratic Party and on the left, whether it's on policy or politics or any of it. Um, I wonder what your thoughts are on that and how you if you care about it or if you try to balance out like, you know, as a conservative, as a Republican, like, you know, what used to be a Republican, um, how we still try to move the whole thing forward and and not just kind of cede all of the ground uh, on policy, especially right now to the Democratic Party. Yeah, well, I think that a lot of conservatives have become special snowflakes that they used to complain about the liberals being. And, uh, you know, for some reason, so you look at Michael Wood, for example. 
I didn't follow that race that closely, but from what I watched, it didn't seem to me like he was going out of his way to pick on Republicans all the time. Like he, he was, not. he talked about how he voted for Donald Trump, and like he he when he was mm-hmm. at, and so when he'd get asked about it, obviously, and so when he'd answer that question, and then everybody gets butt hurt, right? They're like, "Oh, you're a never Trumper, right? Like, oh, you're hurting my feelings. Like you've you've criticized me." So this is a problem strategically for candidates that want to fit this lane in the Republican side, because honestly, you could spend all of your advertising money and all day talking about how the extremes of the left but if you go on this podcast and mention that you think that donald trump was a baddie for trying to steal the election then all of a sudden you're a never trumper why are you always talking about us why are you always attacking us you know what i mean like that's what you get so so i from a candidate standpoint it's putting them in a really tough box right and that's why i sort of go to the red dog thing i actually think you have kind of more room right now on on the left in certain there not not in really blue districts but in certain places to like you know be heterodox and still be okay mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Uh, as a commentator i don't give a f- about that, to be honest because <laughs> I, right. I i i like i i'm just I'm, I'm just gonna give it to everybody straight who listens to this like i i see donald trump and and the nationalist uh, tinge of the Republican Party to be an existential threat to the country. Um, I, I think that, like, I actually think as horrific as his four years are, we were lucky that it wasn't worse. Um, I, I just think that the way that he managed the crisis, the coronavirus, was an was an epic disaster. We were lucky he didn't have other crises that he had to manage over the four over the course of the four years. He literally tried to steal the election um, in the end, uh, and uh, you know it was just unprecedented. Um, and and I think that the long term problems um which i could go on and on about um are, are going to stick with us probably for the rest of our lives um of, of trump's takeover of the party so i i just look at the democrats and don't i think this might also just be a disagreement between me and conservative like conservatives mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i like look at the democrats and i and i just say i i really just don't think a more you know european social democratic economic order which i don't really personally agree with like is that big of a deal i just i just i really don't i mean i I think in the grand scheme of things like 10 years ago i would have fought this tooth and nail but when i look at the threat that's being posed by by uh, by a nationalist wing that's literally trying to close our borders and um and and end our you know us america having a positive role to play in the world and 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 literally end our you know democratic order i, I just i i make a judgment call about what is more important what is more of a priority and so yeah. I, I think that honestly that is sort of the fissure that you see within never trumpers and i think people that fall on my side of the line probably see themselves more as red dog democrats and people that fall more on the side of the line of yeah he was bad but it was just like one weirdo and you know <laughs> all in all like if the, if the pandemic hadn't happened he would have done a pretty good job and I, I didn't like his tweets um but but boy am i worried about turning into sweden like like for those people i think i think folks have le- that's a legitimate view it's one i disagree with yep. um that but i hear that among never trumpers uh people that were at one point never trumpers uh-huh. and i think they will fall more in the line of trying to fix the party right um and we need people like that frankly to be on the side of trying to fix the party yeah yeah no i, I think i think most people like i feel like uh, no matter which side of that divide they fall on i agree that people fall on both that they're still uh, i think an agreement that a healthy functioning Republican party or whatever could stand in its place is important. Yeah. Like that one party rule is probably not best. 
So for sure, for sure, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And I was saying this on I was on Charlie Texas podcast this morning, and I was like, I have this because I'm so mad at my you know these family feuds make you are a little bit more bitter than feuds with the other side. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes I find my my devil on my shoulder. You know, saying, "Boy, do I wish that insurrectionist Amanda Chase would have won the Virginia governor primary to show to show these assholes what's what's what." And I just I need to remind myself that like that is actually not right. Like it, it, like Donald Trump was a, a, a grave threat, um, and you know if if a more competent, you know, less bigoted, less anti-democratic, you know. Um, uh, sort of populist Republican uh, takes his place. Uh, that's still not going to be a party for me, um, but but it would be better um, for the country. I'm curious. I feel like, you know, there's been a lot of talk over the last few years with groups like Unite America um, and, and SAM, um, you know, that this talk of having a third party. And of course, when we look at the fringes, you know, there really does a lot of America does kind of make up the middle. It seems like there's a market for it. Um, that being said, all the infrastructure is really split between two parties. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I mean, do you think it's viable at all? I I was always a big third party naysayer until until recently. I I still lean on the side of naysaying um, as, mm-hmm. as thinking it's not that not that viable. Um, I particularly think it's not viable right now with Joe Biden leading the Democratic Party. Um, I just think that like had Bernie Sanders won that primary again, I think this is a different. I, I, my view of the Democratic Party is, I think, different than what is the accepted view in the in the mainstream among the conservative movement. Like, I, I just I look at a party that has now a coalition of of college educated suburban voters and older black voters, older Latino voters, Asian voters who kind of have a conservative sensibility. And I just, I I see a party that is not on the cusp of being overturned by the AOC populist wing. I just, I thought that, you know, I think if you do think that, if you think that Joe Biden's this sort of last vestige and that like he's going to be replaced by a much more overtly socialist, social justice warrior left, party, then yeah, I think that there will absolutely be room for a third party if that was to happen, right? Um, I think that right now, there just isn't a critical mass of people. Um, I think that everybody can look at the two parties and and either land on, eh, Joe, the Democrats might be going too left, but Joe Biden's fine with me, or eh, I don't like Donald Trump that much, but I like the conservative policies. Like, I, you know, I just, I don't see, see a mass. I, I think that if Trump you know, had had been against Bernie, I think that would have been a different story. And and I think that also in presidential politics these days, we are just in a very disruptive time. You know, and I think that that if somebody that was heterodox on on views, like had a really kind of weird kind of amount, you know, if you had a celebrity type candidate that was like, I'm pro-life and for gay marriage and for guns, but also like quasi-socialist or whatever, you know, or the inverse of all that. Like mm-hmm. I'm pro-choice and pro-gun. And and like I I just I think that that it's possible that that somebody could kind of disrupt the game here, especially if Trump runs again in 2024 and if Biden is you know, doesn't doesn't run again for re-election. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, as long as Biden's around, I really don't I really don't see it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I actually I would agree with you. It's funny. Um kind of what you're saying there. And since you're in California, yeah. um, you know, I'm curious, I have to bring this up with uh, sure. Caitlyn Jenner 
you know, with, with the governor's race, that's interesting because there is kind of that socially liberal, fiscally conservative platform that she's running on. You know, what are your thoughts on on her and the yeah. viability there? Well, she was she was for Donald Trump, and so Donald yeah. Trump lost uh, to California by five million votes. So, <laughs> I, like, I, I just, I, I mean, people, this it. is not 2003 anymore. The same movement that moved a- Atlanta and Denver, like I was talking about, mm-hmm. from purple yep. to blue, has yep. now moved California from light blue to deep dark blue, right? So, <laughs> uh, look, I, I think that one party rule is always, always right for disruption. I, I think that, I, I think that there is, you know, sort of potentially a multicultural, populist, conservative, lane in california like i i do think that that um that the democratic stranglehold could get disrupted by somebody that could attract voters of color that could attract um conservative you know voters um uh, you know as well and maybe peel off some of your you know frustrated business types in the cities who are frustrated with all the regulations people who are leaving right like i think that if you focused on on cost of living you know gas prices housing prices and it's just it was just kind of this pure you know we're going to build all the houses we're going to give people you know we're going to bring competence back we're going to give money to lower income people that need it i'm not a bigot i'm you know like i want to represent the whole state um, I didn't support Donald Trump. I, 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 I do. This is like a white whale, right? Like, who is this person? <laughs> I don't. I don't have anybody in mind, right? right. Um, uh, but yeah. I, I think that California, you know, you could see over the next ten years, particularly if the housing crisis continues to spiral um, out of control, which which it's going to, because they're they're not building any houses, um, which is you know kind of a problem when you're in a housing <laughs> crisis. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, so I do think that there will be potential there, but I, it's not going to come from anybody that supported uh, the racist Donald Trump administration <laughs> that is, uh, is you know, about as popular as hemorrhoids here. Like, it's just not it's just <laughs> not going to it's not going to happen. So Caitlyn Jenner's a no. So is John okay. Cox. And so is Kevin Faulkner, sadly. And I think Kevin Faulkner maybe could have been this person. Uh, he was mayor of San Diego, who was, was more of a moderate, but. He went full MAGA too, um, which I guess you have to do to survive locally. And that's, I think, why this isn't being, the lane isn't being filled. But think about what Arnold ran on when Arnold was yeah. there. I know it was a different, yeah. it would be different issues yeah. for different times. But like, yeah. you know, he's a pro-environment, pro-choice, pro-gay, you know, Republican, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think something like that that's a little unusual, like those aren't obviously the same sort of issues necessarily that are that are hot right now, but something like that that's a little against the grain, I think could work here. But this recall, this ain't, that ain't it. <laughs> well, you've, we've touched on California. We touched on the governor's race in Virginia a little bit earlier. I'm curious if you see things differently in the local levels in within state legislatures uh, and within local politics versus kind of the national scene. It does seem like local politics have been taken over in some ways by the national political climate. But I'm wondering, are there distinctions? Are there ways um, that uh, things might work a little bit differently or better for kind of this, you know, uh, never Trump conservative movement at the local level at some place in local level versus what you see at the national stage? Yeah, 
I think it's getting worse at the lo- local level. My poor, my ex Jeb, you know, sent a tweet the other day that was like, you know, look at the lo- look to the local. <laughs> I don't know what that was. God yeah. bless you, Jeb. I don't know. I'm like, I just like, who are you talking about? I think he might be talking about Miami. Actually, his local, like the Miami yeah. mayor, is pretty competent Republican, mm-hmm. and so I, I really think that's probably what was on his mind. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and frankly, as much as I, I find DeSantis's um, mien. Uh, to be just absolutely repulsive and like his, you know, willingness to lie and, and all of this. And I, I just, I don't think I could support him for that reason. Like if you are really just looking at Florida with a fine eye of like at legislation signed, like, you know, I, I, I think that there also could, is a conservative defense of DeSantis, mm-hmm. um, the, 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 you know, and th- education, things that Jeb cares. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's, here's the thing. Um, this isn't now these races are getting nationalized at the Senate and house level. Mm -hmm. I think it's really tough, but is there a way, you know, um, I think sometimes, you know, we can look to older, you know, movements and how it happened and, and you can learn from that. Like, I I think that all, there is this, um, desire to jump straight to the presidential level, right? right? Um, you know, or whatever, or straight to the Senate race. Like a never Trump Republican is not going to do well in a Senate primary. They're just mm-hmm. not like the, the, these races have been too nationalized. Um, but could you get a stronghold? Um, you know, you got this Chad Mays out here in California that's trying to do that in in local state legislatures. Can you win? Can you again look at blue states? you know, in state offices or maybe red states where you team up with Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think that there are potentially creative ways. I'm not seeing a lot of that. Right. Um, and, and I think that is, would be my big advice to people that wanted to, to do this is, is try to look at um, strategic, you know, legislatures, strategic areas or state, statewide races to try and, and build from because by the way if, if never trump republicans or you know whatever you want to call them anything that's new and different pe- the media likes mm-hmm. right and 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 sense and and from a sensibility standpoint the media is is going to be more friendly to yep. this sort of because that's where what, what most of these people believe in their private lives right, right? um they're more moderate um and so, you know, if there was a never Trumper who ran as a Democrat and won, or a never Trumper, a little cadre of never Trumpers who took a you know uh, uh, um, uh, uh, a role in a swing state state legislature that that allowed them to block some of the voting reforms or something, you know, yeah. they could get national press, and then you get kind of famous, and then you start to right. you know build on that, right? right. So yeah. I, I I think that like that part, if if you can figure out the electoral part, um, you know, sort of leveling it up. Um, is super doable. Yeah. So um, just thinking about uh, we're looking ahead uh, to 2022 midterms um, and thinking about, uh, you know, what are some races maybe that you're keeping an eye on or candidates you're keeping an eye on um, that might have some of these uh, uh, situations where you could see someone, you know, either uh, being able to pull off kind of like some of those situations you mentioned like in a, Demo- in, a in a blue state maybe a uh a little bit uh less trumpy republican coming through or or kind of vice versa um are, is there anything you're looking at for 22 uh and we could t- ask about 24 as well but yeah. uh yeah i mean i i do i do think 2022 is going to be tough for a never trump republican the republican lane and that folks really should um be you know, looking at governor's office and state legislative races, I, I'm interested to see, you know, personally, 
if the Biden theory of the case continues to work in Democratic primaries. And I think that 2022, because I, I think that for, for worse, I was about to say for better or worse, but for worse, like Trump has won the argument in the Republican Party mm-hmm. over the last four months. Mm-hmm. And and and, I, and the, the Republican candidate is going to be very, you know, either Trump heavy or Trump light, right? Like I, I just, that's just where we're at right now. Could that change in four years? Sure. Could that change in local races? Yes. But for House Senate races, that's just where we're at. Um, I, I, I'm interested in, if you look at the Pennsylvania Senate race, right? Can a Connor Lamb type win a primary mm-hmm. in that state? Mm-hmm. I mean, Connor Lamb is, is you know, pretty, you know, much, except for like on abortion, going to be indistinguishable from like John Huntsman, who I worked for when I, <laughs> when he ran for president in 2012, yeah. right? I mean, he's, a, he's super modest. So can he, can he do that? Or is that, or, or is this, this red dog theory? And I think it will be an interesting test of the red yeah, dog theory sure. more in 2022. Can these conservative or more moderate conservatives probably stretching yeah. it moderate democrats win in primaries in places like pennsylvania senate or are you know is the left really you know going to have control over democratic primaries and make it hard you know on for 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 you know these types of candidates to run on both sides mm-hmm. so so i'm actually more interested in the democratic primaries of 2022 with the exception of like just the car wreck type interest with which I will watch Republican primaries like Ohio <laughs> Senate where it's like ranking you know race you know racing to see who can imitate Trump the best um to yeah. win the primary. Yeah. You know I got to ask the follow up. Please. As far as the Republican party goes, what do you kind of predict in 2024 for um yeah, I mean, I think that Trump if he runs again is a big favorite. Uh, it's just reality. So Do you I, think I he's think- going to? I, I can't get inside his head. I don't know. Yeah. I, I really yeah. don't. Um, uh, so I, I think if he does, I think it's tough. I think it's possible that if he runs, it's literally like him and Cheney. I think the field clears for him, right? And then, then you can have a clear contrast. There's something to be said for that. I think if he doesn't run, it's an entire show excuse my language i keep cussing <laughs> on this primary of everybody getting in care. of this of everybody getting in yeah you know i think that you know right now obviously desantis is the is the sort of flavor of the month um yeah. that could change obviously a lot of time between now and then and i just even then it's hard to see you know i i think that this um you know the fever is not breaking right i mean i think that things got to heat up a little bit more um before before we see any change and i i just i, I think that um you know it's uh, uh the, the 2024 primary unless trump is dead or in jail right even if he doesn't run his he will be hanging over it yeah you yeah. know and so and so anytime one of these guys criticizes them he's gonna f- send out a fax from mar-a-lago yeah. about how they're a win <laughs> And, and so it's just hard to see how, you know, the, the, we can kind of flush this through the system by 2024. I, I think it's really more of a 2028, yeah. 2032, <laughs> 2036. I don't know how old you guys are. Um, I'll be start, I'll start, I'll be pretty old by then. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, for the youth, maybe right. I, I would have a longer, right. youth who listen, I'd have maybe a longer, yeah, a little longer, longer lens. Um, yeah. yeah, we've replaced the the uh, smoke filled rooms with Mar-a-Lago in the Republican Party. It seems like <laughs> <laughs> that's the new version. Well, uh, uh, Tim, as we uh, let you go here, where can people uh, read your work, find your work? What's going on? T- uh, t- uh, tell us a little bit about how we can follow you. 
Yeah. Um, well, I'm Tim ODC on Twitter. If you can take it, I tweet too much. I need to. I need to stop. I have a problem. Um, uh, I'm, He's I'm, a good in, I'm in the bulwark, um, and uh, I've got a show on Snapchat uh, where we also put it on YouTube for the olds called Not My Party. But if you do have Snapchat, <laughs> please subscribe to help our subscriber numbers to show people that their uh, the goal of the show is to offer something for the youths in the way of political news that is not charlie kirk or aoc um which is like pretty much what which is pretty much what they're getting um and so i'm really it's it's fun it's it's interesting and we're getting the 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 viewership is pretty good and it's like all 18 to 24 year old dudes i don't i don't know why (laughs) women aren't into it but um i'm you know i'm just like doing the best that i can as a gay to you know attract a wide birth but um but it's it's 18 to 24 year old dudes that watch it um and so you know it's getting to a different audience and hopefully that can play a role by the way in starting to you know get people thinking about the fact that like there can be another option here like i do not have to sign up you know on campus for tp usa you know or for you know all the sjw young socialist thing like it's just uh, that a lot of there's not an option out there for these folks so so i've been putting a lot of time into that and and and, uh, check it out if you if you can awesome tim miller thanks so much for coming on what's next we appreciate you doing it and i look forward to talking with you again down the road Thanks, y'all. Happy to do it. All right. Our thanks again to Tim Miller for joining us on the show today. Thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. I hope you did as well and would encourage you to go and check out all of Tim's work. You can follow him on Twitter at TimODC, as well as at The Bulwark, where you can read both his written work as well as hear him on various podcasts. Uh, Also, the show that he mentioned uh, is both on YouTube and Snapchat. So whichever your platform of choice, you can go watch Not My Party uh, with Tim Miller uh, on those platforms. Would love for you to do that. We will include the links to all of what I just mentioned in the show notes so you don't have to remember it, but you can go and uh, link to them from the show notes. So I hope you'll do that. Uh, Also, if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. We are so glad to have you with us and we encourage you to go back and check out some of the episodes that are in your feed right now and some of the prior guests that we've visited with from Bill Crystal to Matt Lewis to uh, Elizabeth Newman, just so many fantastic folks and would love for you to do that and catch up with us uh, as we move forward. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter at what's underscore next underscore pod and you can email us what's next political pod at gmail.com. We would love to hear your feedback, your suggestions, anything at all. Uh, so don't hesitate to uh, reach out to us by email. Also, speaking of wanting to hear from you, please go and leave a rating in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Would love for you to do that. All right. On behalf of Emily Matthews, I'm Daniel Hare. We are so glad that you're with us and we look forward to talking with you again next time on What's Next. What's next?